Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today I'm really excited to have Mary J. Furry join me on this conversation. Mary is a professional coach. She's a registered financial planner. She's all over LinkedIn. She has a lot of opinions and I think it's going to make for such a great conversation. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's lovely to be here talking about all these things I'm passionate about. Yeah, the human side of money and the coaching and a different way of delivering advice, I think is always something that resonates with me. But before we delve into that, Mary, can you give us a little bit of a background of you know how you stumbled on the financial services industry or profession? Because I know you have a very interesting story and I'd love for you to share that with our audience. I love that you use the word stumble because I think that's an accurate way to describe my um, entry into it and that it, it wasn't a traditional plan of, you know, I finish high school and I go study this subject and then I knew I was going to do the next thing and the next thing. My story probably starts way back with my earliest experience as a child where money became something that I understood or knew about in my life. My father died when I was five and with, with the passing of a very important figure in my life, a lot of things in my life changed. So I grew up with a single parent mother and a school teacher, not necessarily very well paid. And I had a younger brother and experienced being the older child in the family, uh, an understanding of what was going on in the world, um, in our world. I mean, my world wasn't much bigger than my nuclear family at that time. So noticed the changes, um, cars being sold. Um, I remember having, a, uh, what's that, Mnet for a while. And, and then that disappeared after a while as well. And just noticing how hard my mom worked and how busy she was trying to keep everything together and, and keep us going um, as a family. Uh, 
during those early years of mine. Along that journey, I recognized that money didn't grow on trees. Um, it wasn't just going to be thrown out of the ether and into my life. And, and that motivated me to figure out how to get it. You know, I understood it was this thing that made the world go round and had an impact on my life. And so as a teenager, um, I was fortunate enough to get a job and pay my way through, through the fun side of being a teenager. Um, all the cool things that teenagers want, clothing, outing, parties, as well as saving for some of the other things that my personality wanted, like a cool computer, um, being able to move out the house and be independent. And so I had quite a balanced relationship with money at that stage and was quite proud of myself when the day after my matric final exam, I moved out the house with my newly acquired huge computer. I mean, computers were massive back then with those big CRT monitors that we had into this bedroom of the shared apartment that I was sharing um, with this full-time job that I had had, you know, for a couple of years already. So my journey continued where I thought I would work in retail and clothing um, for the rest of my life because that's what I knew and that's what I was able to do. And uh, one of my roommates was studying law and he mentioned you know, showed me his UNISA books, he was doing a correspondence and that it was possible to not go to university and study. And I took up the challenge and enrolled in a BCom law through UNISA, thinking I'm going to become a lawyer. That sounds pretty cool. And it didn't quite work out that way. Um, working and studying a degree that was going to take eight to 10 years was not easy. It was really, really hard. And I, I struggled with that balance of I like working and earning money, but the studying requires a lot of my time and attention. And then one day I decided I didn't actually want to be a lawyer. That standing in a courtroom wasn't the dream of where I imagined I'd end up. And so I continued to work mostly in retail. I fell pregnant at age 23, and that was probably my next level up with money, where now it's not just about me and all the things I want to have and do. There is this new life coming into the world. And I remember one of my very first thoughts being, history cannot repeat itself, can't be the same as it was. Because with my parents, they'd done no financial planning. There was no life insurance. My dad died from a brain tumor. He died leaving medical debt. Um, because medical aids wouldn't pay for things and he had cancer treatments and such. You know, my mom was selling assets. There wasn't a big, sizable savings or emergency fund. And our lives could have been quite different if those things had been planned. So at age 23, I got life insurance and I set up a will and I made sure that my partner did the same things too because I thought this is what I can take control of and the steps I can take to make it different, hopefully, you know, nothing's going to happen to us. But from my experience, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. But there are some things you could do to manage those, those unexpected things. Continued on a couple of years working. Um, I got out of retail, moved into online gaming, which was very interesting. Not playing the games, but the back 
um, end of creating games. I worked in marketing and social media, and that was really, really interesting. Um, the games were casino-based games. And at some point, I started to grow uncomfortable with the market we were working with, um, the fact that I was sending a million emails a day to get people to spend their money on, on slot machine games. And I couldn't articulate what it was about this. It felt uncomfortable, but something just was off. Sort of in parallel to that, I was going through my own experiences in my personal financial planning. Um, the wonderful advisor I had been working with was going to be leaving the company that she was at. And I felt myself stuck without an advisor. And wanting that sounding board, that person that I could check in with that I knew cared and was interested in me. And I was about to buy property, my first investment property. And I, I wanted someone to sense check me, to, to look through my spreadsheets and my calculations and just make sure that I, I, I was getting it right. I wasn't overlooking anything in that process. And so I went on the search to find someone. And I, I recalled back to the prenatal classes we did um, when I was pregnant with my daughter. And I was like, there was this guy there. And I'm sure he was a financial advisor. <laughs> and I contacted him. And we built somewhat of a relationship in having kids together. So the kids had had play dates and stuff afterwards. So it felt like, you know, I can trust this guy, which is a really important element in, when dealing with, with money and working with your own money and with someone else. And went to him and said, help me. Can you look at this stuff? This is where I'm at. This is what I've done. And he asked me a question, which kind of shook me. His question was, well, what's your future career plan? And I was like, future career plan? Like, there is no plan. It's always just been, hey, universe, what next? Oh, cool. Here's a job. Um, you know, I'd moved around jobs quite a few times by that stage. But there wasn't really any long game. Um, it was more just do what you're doing until the next best thing shows its um, face as an opportunity. And then his next comment was, you seem to have a handle of this money stuff more than most people. He's like, we don't normally have these conversations with clients. Have you ever considered working in the financial services space? And I looked at him and I was like, not really. It, it wasn't something I'd considered pursuing. I think I imagined that you had to have some form of degree or, or qualifications that I wouldn't be able to get in order to move in. And he sparked something in me um, that got me searching and trying to work out, well, how could I move into this industry? And what if I helped people with their money instead of trying to sell, sell them to spend their money on something that I wasn't really comfortable with? I found a way to study found a way to do NQF certificates. So instead of creating another eight to 10 year pathway of studying, I could break it up into manageable chunks and have something tangible that would allow me to work as I moved into the industry. And by the end of that first year of studying, I went to go work for this advisor and got the opportunity to experience all sides of a financial services provider in the industry, the power planning, the advice, the planning, the running of the business from the HR to the financials. Loved it, loved working with clients. 
Um, loved understanding the technical and the back end. I was oh, naturally very technical. Spent a lot of time understanding the details of the life insurance policy and product from this provider and that provider. Could tell you everything about um, how it worked. But clients didn't really enjoy that stuff. Clients wanted something different um, in the sense that I'd go with the paperwork, you know, like, Mary, go see this client, get the stuff signed. And I'd sit with them and I'd listen to their stories and I'd be interested in their lives and their families. And three hours later, the client wasn't ready to sign the paper. And I'd go back to the office and I'd get in trouble because I spent three hours with the client, no papers were signed. And yet I felt good because I'd built a relationship. I'd heard, I'd seen who these clients were. I felt that, you know, if I picked up the phone and phoned them a week or two later, they'd be interested to talk to me. And the other experience I had too was clients who loved the advice I gave them, who agreed and were like, yes, let's do this thing. Let's go for it. And then they didn't do it. Or six months later, after creating an investment that had a, a long-term um, time horizon, they wanted to take all the money out. And so I was like, what's going on here? You know, how do I do a good job at what's required to help people, to really help them with their money and with their lives and keep my boss happy at the same time? Mary, that is a wonderful story. And I can hear the journey that you've taken, you know, just to get into the industry. A couple of things that struck me is, you know, that you were adulting really hard <laughs> right out of school and super responsible. but you're very clear on your money stories and the things that have played up. Was that something that came naturally or have you spent time looking back at the past and, and figuring that out? I have spent time looking back at the past and figuring that out. So, so I really resonate with Steve Jobs' analogy of you connect the dots backwards and that it's worth spending time looking backwards and connecting those dots, not to get stuck in them, not to be trapped in the past and the, oh my gosh, these terrible things happened to me, but to make sense of it, make meaning of it so that it becomes useful in the present and moving forward. And I'm, I'm lucky to have had the opportunities um, to do that work um, in going on my own coach training journey. Part of that journey was our own self-development and understanding what got us to where we were with the idea that we couldn't go out there and help other people if we hadn't first helped ourselves and understood what was going on in our world. And I've had some amazing mentors um, and coaches in my life who've held space for me and given me the hard feedback um, to help me look and make sense of my journey and my experience and, and how I've allowed it to impact my life um, up until now and moving forward. What would you say to you know, financial planners that struggle to take their clients on this reflective journey that jumps into the planning and wants to look at the future yet neglect the story of how they got to where they are now? Like, What would your advice be to them? To consider the cost of not spending that time um, helping their clients to a little bit of reflection and understanding because... Uh, for sure, we want to move forward and planning is about the future and it can be very exciting and, and inspiring talking about dreams and goals and what we're going to do. But what I found is really challenging is the behavioral side where I can have the most beautiful goals articulated. I can know exactly what the steps are to take. And then there's stuff that gets in the way. And often that stuff is the patterns on repeat from our past 
And unless we're aware of what those are, it's very hard to to navigate them in the present moment. They just trip us up and trip us up and trip us up. And I think that for me is the cost of being so focused on the future that we we ignore what's come before. Um, I've got a colleague in the in the coaching industry who would say, "What got me here won't get me there." And I thought that's such a beautiful way of we don't want to um, dismiss that what got you here did or did not serve you. It, it, it has a place. It did serve you. You're here right now, but it might not be what you need to get to the next space or place that you're aiming for. Yeah, it's such an important point, you know, making sure that something's not going to happen that's going to derail this plan, you know, that things not going to play out on, on repeat, like you're saying. And you also mentioned focusing on the things that you can control, which resonated with me and you know, we spend so much time in our client meetings talking about things that might be outside of our control. How have you find to keep a balance between, you know, things that we can control and things that we can't? Mm, it is a balance. It is a juggle. I think our brains often get focused on the things we can't control. And that can also trip us up and frustrate us. Things like the markets, the politics, the, you know, whatever else is going out there, on out there in the world. And that can then paralyze us, where if we're too focused on what we can't control, we just sit still or we or we rush forward into, you know, taking actions that don't necessarily serve us. Whereas focusing on what we can control, which is often bringing it back to ourselves. So taking our focus from further away and outside of ourselves to, you know, what's the next step I can take? What's the next thing I can do in this moment that will just move me a little bit further along the path. Yeah, we see all these studies talking about the locus of control and how that can contribute to someone's happiness. And I guess we get to facilitate that with clients saying, we're going to help you be happier by focusing on the things that you can control. And and with that, I want to kind of move back to where we ended your your journey on like being in this business, looking at the, the things that you, know, you can do. Uh, what happened next? Yeah, so I think that was exactly it, right? So what can I control in the situation? And was, well, can I upskill myself to be better at talking to clients and and offer something more um, than just, here's a cool product, do you want to buy this thing? Or here's the plan, this is what you should do. You know, how could I really, really help them and, and help them not make the same mistakes or not get stuck in those patterns of behavior. And coaching was the way um, or the, the thing that I discovered that would help me. Um, I'd been coached at, at the gaming company. Um, and so I had experienced it. I'd considered studying it before, but it really made sense that this is something, this human side that needs to come into the financial planning and financial advice space. So. I went on a journey to study and learn how to be a coach. Um, what are the skills I need to develop, which definitely, as we've discussed, involved going in and looking at myself and unpacking my own stuff and what had gotten me there. And that was a long journey. Um, I did a, a course in Joburg. I live in Cape Town, so I did quite a bit of traveling. And initially it was about six or seven months of travel which I turned into a year of travel because I, I did my coaching course twice. I 
got to the end of the first course going, this is amazing. I've transformed so much. I see all this potential, but oh, like, how do I now go and coach other people? Um, you know, I didn't feel confident yet to be able to really help them transform where they were at. By, I think, the second module, the second time I came back and I was like, right, let's register businesses. I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, can we can we pause there for a second? Like, what was that thinking around saying, I'm going to do the same thing again? Like, how did you, yeah. how did you justify that in your, in your mind? Because I can see this pattern of, you know, almost trying to break down barriers and, and find creative ways around uh, products and, and it's interesting, or, or obstacles. It's interesting mm-hmm. to see how you got to, you know, I'm going to do this again. Yeah. So there were two different, two things happening there. On the one, there was still an unconscious pattern of mine playing out, which is not feeling good enough. And I need to keep learning. I need to keep adding to what I think I, or my ideas of what I can do before I can actually go into the world and do it. It helped me. It helped doing it a second time um, because the experience was different. So same content, different context, different people. And that was appealing as well. Um, the first group I was in was a very small group who were mostly doing their coach training because they were interested in coaching as a developmental pathway for themselves. The second group I joined had more people from corporates who were focused on, I'm going to become a coach and I'm going to go out and make a business of it. So that context was also interesting in how it impacted my journey um, and, and the focus and experience of each of those coach trainings. And it's fascinating because on my journey, I think every, every group experience I've been involved in, I've always been amazed at how the people who need to be in that room show up and are in that room to give you the experience you most need at that point in time. So I needed to unpack all that personal stuff first. Um, and I, I was with a group of people who gave me the space to do that. And then as I started to come out of, okay, now I'm ready to focus on the professional and the business side, the next group of people just appeared that could help me do that. So it was a little bit of playing into my own stuff as well as the universe just providing the next stepping stone on my pathway forward. Wow. So it's not just, I'm going to watch this movie again and pick up on things that I missed. It was actually, you know, what are the things outside that are supporting and, and happening at the same time and, and getting to a place where it feels right as opposed to just, oh, I passed the uh, certification or I passed the exam. Mm-hmm. And if I now think and connect those dots backwards, what happened to was I built relationships with all those people and with that organization I did my coach training at. And I ended up working for that organization too and training and learning how to train other coaches and becoming a mentor coach. And that has helped me get to the point where I'm at now, where I've started my own coach training school as well. So, you know, if I had missed that second opportunity, I probably wouldn't be where I am today right now. Yeah, I'm sure they saw, hey, Mary is really committed. We have to find a way for her to be included in this business. Yeah, yeah. And I was. I was so keen and so excited to, you know, give it everything and give it all. Um, it's a really inspiring place and space to work in. Uh, coaching and people's, yeah, people's minds, people's hearts. That That coach training component is something that, you know, we see a lot in financial planners. Now I've done a bit of coach training as well, and I know how much work 
goes into getting a PCC designation. Um, for those that don't know, can you maybe share a little bit of, you know, kind of what are the top line criteria and how much time do you actually spend getting there? Mm. So what's been really fascinating for me is to see the parallels between the coaching world and the financial services world. So what's familiar to us in, in financial planning is we've got you know, the FPSB and the FPI that have created our designations there. Um, and the underpinnings of those being we need the qualifications, education, we need the experience, we agree to the ethics, and we there's an examination and then it's the ongoing CPD. Well, the same thing exists in the coaching world as well. And that's also the, the coach training I chose was influenced by um, seeing that pathway too and wanting to get something that wasn't just a nice certificate to have, but was actually like a professional qualification. So I picked a coach training that was aligned with the International Coach Federation, who are like the FPSB of financial planning in coaching. Um, they've also got a local uh, chapter in South Africa who are like the FPI. And very similarly, you've got to get a qualification that is accredited by them. So there's your education component. You need to get experience as well. And they set a certain amount of coaching hours that you need to complete. Um, you know, that whole idea of, of practice. Um, the more you practice, the better you get at something. And then you've got your ethics. There's also a code of ethics that you agreed to. Um, there's an examination as well, um, a competency exam and continuous professional development that continues as well. And similar to what we know in financial planning, there's three different levels. So your associate certified coach or your ACC is a hundred hours. Um, your professional certified coach or PCC is 500 hours. And then your MCC or your master coach is two and a half thousand hours. So it's quite a big jump um, between PCC and, and MCC. So it's something you, you mature and grow into as well. Um, because again, there's this idea of you know personal and professional development on the journey as well. You don't just start out and you're a master coach. It's something you, you grow, you mature, you work towards. Yeah, there's no shortcut for two and a half thousand hours. <laughs> it has to take that, Time's got to pass. Time. So, yeah. I mean, I want to ask, are you, are you a coach first or are you a financial planner first with a coaching designation? Yeah, that's such an interesting question because I think I describe myself as having a coaching approach when I'm talking to people on financial services. Yeah, I think a coach first in the sense that I've always been curious about humans. And I've always engaged with people going like, you know, why do you do that thing? What is it about the way you think or see the world and wanting to understand that? Um, I think that's always been inside of me. And I would have brought that into the financial planning and advice before I became a coach. But the, the coaching journey refined and polished the way that I do that. I think I do it in a more empowering and supportive way now because advice advice is quite hard and quite harsh in, in how we approach people and we can be curious and interested about them but then we give them our opinion and that's not always asked for and it's not always helpful yeah so it's just just a, a different way of delivering advice eh? there we go we listen first yeah, yeah. and and 
the way of listening is is slightly nuanced and different. Brilliant. And and tell us a little bit about the coach training school. You know, who's that aimed at, and uh, how's the uptake been? Yeah. So that is. Sure, it came about because I realized I'm one person and there's only so many people in the world I can help, right? We talked about hours and time. You know, I can't change the amount of hours in a day and fast track or, or expand that to be able to, to give more to the world. But I can train other people. And if I do that, then they can use their hours in a day to help more people. And the more people I help, you know, the bigger that butterfly or exponential if it can be. So that was my inspiration around this question of how do I scale? How do I expand what I'm doing to reach more people? And the focus, I was like, let's let's keep it focused on my niche, which is the financial side of coaching, um, and train financial advisors and planners to bring that coaching approach into their businesses, into their planning, into their engagements with their clients. How it ends up looking for each individual, each professional is different um, because we all run different businesses. We've all got different gifts, talents, focuses, our own different niches within um, financial planning or advice. And so, yeah, the, the coach training school was born beginning of this year. Um, we actually registered it, I think, the day before Christmas last year, <laughs> sitting on a Zoom call with my business partner, Nabil. Um setting it up ourselves and going, let's help transform and evolve this industry and bring what we know is so valuable, this this human side and approach to engaging with our clients. That's wonderful to see how you know how, how many different providers there are now offering this and, and it really is an important skill to any financial plan. And listening, it's just another tool in your toolbox so that you don't just default to only one way of delivering advice. I want to go back a little bit to your financial planning practice. Uh, tell us a little bit how do you work with clients? Uh, how do you charge? You know, because obviously a big chunk of this might not be linked to the products. And also, how, how's that going? Sure, it's been a journey. It's been just just over four years now. So from the beginning, I decided I wanted to be fee-based. That was something I felt very passionate about. In fact, if we rewind even further behind, I was very fortunate and lucky to enter this industry on a salary. So I, I experienced the excitement of um, you know commission and sales and seeing it in the business and how it worked in the business, but I think the advantage I had was earning a salary and not needing to do that whole chasing to sell something, and and that I think did inform my view that we shouldn't be our earnings shouldn't be connected to the client's money, that it's much harder to help them with what they really really need if there's going to be a financial impact on our world as well. And of course, we hope, you know, that our business gets big enough that it's not a, not a worry, but I do think there's a conflict there. And so from the beginning, I decided let's, you know, put that conflict out, out of the picture completely. I'm going to charge fees for the work that I do. I won't take commissions. Um, I won't charge asset under management fees. I want it to be as transparent and give the client as much autonomy and and empowered empower them to make choices about their world 
and empower myself to be able to give them advice or support them in making decisions that weren't conflicted or influenced by my own self. It's been tough. It's been really tough because it's much easier to charge commission and fees. You know, it's, it's tough looking at a policy that could give you 10, 20, 30,000 rand in commission and put a zero and go, I'm not going to take that. But it feels so good sitting with clients and knowing that I can lower your premium on an insurance policy to start at a lower place, which means it's going to increase, you know, more slowly over time and it's going to save them money over their lifetime. There's something beautiful about having conversations with clients about the value I do add and the cost of those services and having them question, you know, if I pay this month, um, pay a retainer for your services, what, what do I actually get? What is this for? And it's, it's not easy. I think that's one of the scariest parts of working in that space is you, you put your heart on the table because it is about, you've got to do stuff for that, for that. You're not just charging a client or taking a commission because, oh, well, that's how it works. Yeah, Mary, you seem to have figured out ways to keep yourself accountable. I mean, you publish these figures publicly <laughs> to, for people to see how much, you know, the, the split is um, in your business, which is wonderful. Like, was that intentional? Like just saying, okay, I'm going to commit to this. And, you know, knowing that this is public, it's going to make it easier to then scratch out the commission because I don't have to think about it every time? Or is there still an element of, ah, yeah, do I need to decide every time? Or is that just now kind of ingrained? I think it's ingrained now. Initially, it was inspiration. Initially, it was that sense of like, I did it. I can do it. Because there were people who were skeptical. There were people at the beginning of my journey who were like, ooh, you know, you're not going to survive. Um, this can't be done. It's too hard. Um, there were people who were really worried about me, who gave me advice and were like, you must charge it more, Mary. You can't charge, you know, that little, otherwise you're not going to survive. So I think there was a healthy element of almost rebellion around, like, I'm going to prove that this is possible, <laughs> not just to myself, but to, to the naysayers. And so being transparent and, and showing that change in split between what was invoiced and what was commission earned um, and, and holding myself publicly accountable felt good. And it's, you know, demonstrating that it's possible because I think there are a lot of people that feel like it's not possible. And, and it will be harder if you're transitioning a business from, you know, earning and, and working on commission and AUM. But if you just focus on shifting that split and, and, you know, shifting more towards the one side over time and measuring that change, that's all you need to do. It'll take time, but it's possible to, to notice that. Yeah, I want to highlight that piece that you said about the change. You know, it's like helping your client go through change. It's change within your business and you'll have people that doubt you and you'll have people that support you, but you get to make a decision. You know, uh, if you're wrong, you're the one that carries the responsibility, but if you're right, you're also the one that reaps the benefits. That's it. And I also feel that accountability is part of what coaching brings into the relationship as well. You know, that idea that, you know, what, what is the right thing to do? Um, how are we going to measure what's right? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable to trying and experimenting and figuring things out? Um, not just pushing things under the carpet 
and ignoring it or, or not having hard conversations if they need to be had. Yeah, so you're setting yourself up for success, saying, okay, this is a potential stumbling block that I'm removing by aligning my the way that I charge for my advice. Yes. What are the yes. other things you're doing to kind of set up that success that might come to mind? Well, I think also always trying to, so I, I iterate and I iterate and I iterate. I mean, where the business is now compared to where it started, it's changed and evolved over time in terms of the services we offer and how we package those. So it's, it's always an experiment. You never know. Um, and I think that's how I've approached this whole journey of mine is, okay, let's just try. Let's try and let's see what happens. <laughs> and then you get the feedback. And sometimes the feedback sucks. <laughs> you don't want to get that. The feedback or it hurts or it's like, oh, I thought that was a good idea, but okay, it's not working. And to just hold it lightly enough to go, okay, what can we try next? You know, if this didn't work, what else would work? Or for clients looking at me and going, this is too complicated or, you know, I think I started with a service offering of um, build your own adventure. And I was like, if you want this, you can add that into the pot. And if you want this, we'll do that. And this costs this and this costs that. Clients want the cheapest thing. They're not going to build their own adventure and add all the different pieces together. Oh, that was my experience at least. And simplifying. I think setting myself up for success has been about Thinking big, how to scale, um, but how to do so in simplifying, keeping it simple, keeping it focused, um, and keeping it meaningful and real and, and of benefit to the client, aligning it with my values. I think that's also definitely been a big part of, of what I would say is keeping me. I mean, what is successful, right? That I'd say I feel like I'm successful because I live according to my values and I keep going back to, you know, how do I live these things I believe in? And I can see how that's helped you to either double down, you know, if you need to do this course again or to hold it lightly to say, okay, I'm not going to be emotionally connected to this. I'm going to unplug and, and be comfortable with knowing that this didn't pan out. Uh, it's almost, you know, just staring potential fear in the face and saying, I'm going to come for you. And if it doesn't work out, that's also okay. And they've been hard moments. I've, I've needed to let go of people along the journey and, and yeah, go, okay, this doesn't feel okay. This isn't aligned with values. It's not working and that's okay. Reshift focus, have those little one-on-ones with myself. Um, the existential crises. How do I do this? <laughs> what am I doing? Um, how do I live this vision and purpose? I believe I have. You know, I think every entrepreneur goes through those cycles of, you know, should I just go work for someone again? Um, won't it be easier? And then, you know, taking that step back out of the emotion and and looking at it logically and going, well, you know, it's not easier. And in fact, the world has proved to us that it's not more secure either. And if I go back to to my heart, which is the emotion, but the purpose side of it, you know, how do I live that working for someone else um, when I do feel so cold and passionate about creating and, and furthering this vision of what's possible. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that because it's not an easy journey. And so part of 
these discussions is just to highlight, you know, that it is normal to feel that you want to give up or you want to do something else. Um, but the real growth often comes from just pushing through to that if, if you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Mary, you, you shared some elements of, you know, a business 2.0 and a new addition to your family about change and transitions. And, and I want to touch a little bit on how you rethink, because there's this theme of just you know, challenging the way things we've always done it. And, and so what do you see the future of financial planning and, and coaching, you know, in the way that you're doing things? Mm. I mean, gosh, there's the, the industry and the world. Um, and then there's myself and where I see my business going. I do think, and I'm, I'm loving watching more and more um, advisors and planners and people in financial services, in fact, the big insurers, look at the human side, look at the behavioral side, go, hold on, we have a whole human in front of us. They're more than just logic and numbers. They want more than that from us. And we are more than that too. And how do we connect and integrate and, you know, give more to help them um, with more and to, to yeah, get, get down to what's meaningful, um, you know, what creates a sense of fulfillment and contentment in life. One of the challenges of how things have evolved is that, and I, it ties in with the word more, which I felt I was saying a lot, is that there's a lot expected of us um, in, and we take on a lot more in pursuing this path of I'm going to have my financial qualifications, I'm going to have my coaching qualifications, I'm going to integrate this business with all these offerings and I do wonder if we might not go back to specialization again, moving into the future where it's quite a lot for one person to be all these things, but we can build collaborative networks and we can build businesses of specialization um, that, that work together. So that also feels more integrated. The, I feel like financial services is often like the Lone Ranger game. Um, you know, you're the, the lone hunter going off, you're competing in the same hunting ground, you eat what you kill, it's very competitive. And I feel like this human side has brought a more collaborative approach to it. But perhaps we go back to here's a business and we've got planners and we've got coaches, we've got technical specialists, and and we create a collaborative space where we're all working together. It's not about I own this client and that relationship is exclusively mine, mine but we, we build businesses that have value as well um, and businesses that give value and there are more relationships um, and more collaboration in that space. And that could work within business and it can work in the industry as well. Um, more sharing and collaboration between different areas of financial services or financial coaching, um, picking a niche. I think that started to come up as a hot topic as well. You know, not taking anything with the pulse or anyone with the pulse, <laughs> but picking the kind of client that you want to work with um, because there's a connection, there's a resonance, there's you know something there that you can offer those specific people in the world. Wow. There's this concept of, you know, going broad first and then going deep. And so what I'm hearing is that you're saying we need to have 
you know, groups of people that can go deep if that's required and, and to a specific group of people that you know you want to service. And there is training out there for people, you know, that want to have a specific area focusing on people going through a transition or people, you know, dealing with estates and complex estate planning or people that want to go the coaching route um, and then creating this ecosystem of financial advice. Mm-hmm. I think it's also kinder to the client. We can't be everything. It's a huge burden and it's a, it's a disservice to try and pretend to be everything to the client, but we create these ecosystems and it's like, oh, I know this amazing tax person and I know they've got a coaching approach, they've got a human approach, cool. And then I know this amazing estate specialist, they can help you with that and they're willing to work together as well. How do we get past the ego of you know saying, oh, Mr. Client, uh, I'm not perfect and I'm not, I, I'm not all-knowing? Like, where do you start? Oh, Brene Brown comes to mind. It's that vulnerability question, isn't it? Um, and braving. It's it's not easy. We first got to recognize that it exists. Um, when we're sitting in front of a client, recognize that, that when they ask that question, we don't have the answer to. What is the trigger within us? And you know what? What do I choose to then do in that moment? In my experience, it's the clients appreciate it. When you put that boundary and go, this is what I can help you with. If we start moving towards that territory, I know someone, so I can give you a recommendation and I can bring someone in. So, and you know, I can vouch for this person, this person, and they appreciate that. They really do. Um, it creates, it builds the relationship between you and the client when you do that too. Mary, would that be the same as contracting in the coaching? world you know setting these yes. are the parameters this is how i can function this is what you can expect as opposed to you know we can fix anything that's got money linked to it yes i think that's so important contracting setting those boundaries roles and responsibilities you know what is my role as advisor planner coach you know what am i prepared to do what i'm am i not prepared to do how often can you contact me we I find we as humans generally don't have these kinds of explicit conversations with anybody um, in setting those boundaries. And yet it's so important. There's nothing worse than someone phoning you and seeing the, you know, the number on the phone and going, oh, no, it's this time. I can't take that. And, and the guilt and the angst that goes with that, being able to contract exactly, this is when I'm available and this is what I can do and this is what I can't and this is what is expected of you and what you can expect from me. So it's also um, accountability that goes both ways. It's wonderful that you mentioned that because we had Terence Tobin on one of the previous episodes and he spoke about having family time and informing his clients. You know, you're not going to be able to contact me during these hours because I spend it with my family. You can leave a message and I'll get back to you. And, and our clients appreciate that and actually, you know, it resonates with them because when we talk about money and why it's important and to be aligned to our lives and our families, and you actually show them that this, these are the things that you live to, uh, it just, I think it hits home. And that's it too, right? Like we, we talk about lifestyle and helping clients create a lifestyle that they want and they dream, right? But if we don't show and by leading that example of here are our boundaries, are we actually demonstrating that it's possible? Um, you know, or are we just selling a dream that no one's ever going to achieve? 
Mary, thank you for a wonderful conversation. This has been so much fun. For people that want to reach out to you to learn more about your business and who you serve and your coach training school, where's the best place to get hold of you? MaryJFurry.com is part, is my website. And that's the central place that will take you in whichever direction you're most curious about, whether it's yeah, uh, coach financial planning um, as a service through my journey to freedom or how to become a financial coach, which is through the Money Talks Development School. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And it's great to see your coaching approach and how it shows up in your conversations and your wisdom that you bring to it. Uh, May you have a lot of success in your endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for having me here and indulging me and exploring all the things I love. It's been great.